When was the last time you were surrounded by darkness? So, embarrassing story. I happen to live in an apartment that has a basement level. And the other day, I walked into one of the rooms down there with no windows at night and closed the door only to have the single light bulb in that room go out. It was true and utter darkness. I mean, this was a you-can't-see-your-hand-in-front-of-your-face type of darkness. Now, I'd like to think I'm a fairly competent adult, but the moment it happened, I panicked. My hands flew in front of me as I spun wildly, trying to get a sense of direction. For just a second, I had this genuine question, will I ever get out of here? I fumbled and groped for what I thought was the door, only to realize I didn't know which direction the door was in. Now, obviously, spoiler alert, I eventually did find the door. But if you've ever been in the dark, you know that feeling. True confusion, panic even. The dark is a confusing and terrifying place. You're vulnerable and exposed. You have no control. And often you have no idea where to turn or look for help. I begin with darkness because this week, in a special online bonus message, we want to share a final I am of Jesus from the Gospel of John. An I am that is all about light. Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, the first thing I want to point out is that this I am would have hit differently if you were living in Jesus's day. Back then, there were no light bulbs, street lights, or especially iPhones. Instead, there was light during daytime, and then there was darkness at night. And everyone knew when it became dark that there were dangers living in the dark. Animals would prowl about. Sometimes bandits and thieves would kind of hang around the roads waiting to pounce on unsuspecting travelers walking alone at night. And for that reason, people knew they needed light. Light offered protection. Light offered salvation. Light offered guidance. On its surface, that's what this I am is all about. Jesus is offering us light to protect, save, and guide us from the dangers of the dark. However, there's something even deeper going on in this passage. If you glance at the verses coming before it, you'll notice a very well-known story that occurs right before this verse in John 8, 1 to 11. It's a story about a woman caught in adultery. Now, here's the question I've been asking myself. Why would the Gospel of John include this story of the woman caught in adultery here, at this moment, right before Jesus says, I am the light of the world? The answer, I think, is that this story wants us to ask two questions. First, who is actually living in darkness? And second, what would it take to step into the light? So let's look at John 8, 1 to 11. The story begins, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, the more you think about this scene, the more messed up it is. First, if a woman has been brought in for being caught in an affair, where is the man she was caught with? Why has he been left out of the scene? Second, what were the religious leaders doing that they managed to catch someone in the act of adultery? Were they waiting for it to happen? Did they plan this as a kind of trap? We're still, notice how it continues. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? 
What would cause religious leaders to do such a horrible thing as parade a woman they caught in adultery in front of a crowd, baiting Jesus to stone her? It almost seems as if they were doing all of this as a kind of trap, which is exactly what John tells us in verse 6. This whole picture paints the first great reversal of this story. The very people you would assume are living in light turn out to be living in darkness. Now, of course, none of us want to think that we are that person. That person is outwardly religious, but inwardly proud. That person is outwardly loving, but inwardly jealous. That person is outwardly kind, but is inwardly judgmental. No one wants to be that person. Surely you're probably thinking to yourself, I'm not that kind of person. But if we're being truly honest, all of us have a little bit of that person in us. And for that reason, all of us are vulnerable to the religious leader's temptation to use someone else's failures to make ourselves look better. This can take place at work when you secretly feel pleased to see that coworker fail or get told off for dropping the ball. This can take place in our families when a sibling or extended family member struggles and you publicly remark how sad it is to see them struggle, but inwardly feel relieved you're not doing as poorly as they are. This can even be a temptation in church. You show up on Sundays, you participate in a small group, you hear teachings like this one, and you think to yourself, can you imagine how hard it must be to not know God the way I know God, to not be a part of the church the way I'm a part of the church, to not serve the world in the way that I serve the world. And at this moment, Jesus is going to do that thing he does where with one pointed statement, he flips religious expectations on their head. Jesus is going to say this, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Wow. Let that challenge sink in for just a second. If you were there that day, you could probably feel the question hover in the air. In fact, I'm almost certain that if you had looked around, the angriest of the crowd might have still drawn back their arm with stone in hand, looking around as if to say, come on, are we really going to listen to him? Let's do this. But as those most angry began to look around, they would have been caught by surprise as the oldest and wisest among the religious elite began one by one to silently put down their stone and walk away. Have you ever had a moment like that? A moment where you realized you actually were the one living in darkness? I can't help but think of the stories I've heard about interventions when someone is confronted with an addiction they've been hiding and challenged to step into the light. Now, I know this is really heavy stuff. Someone who's been hiding their drinking, hiding their drug use, hiding their self-injury, finds themselves surrounded by people who love them, confronting them that they have currently been living in darkness, but that now, in the safety of their love, it is time to step into the light. In the moment, the person struggling with addiction always hates the exposure. It's horrible to them. It's almost like that feeling when the blinds are ripped open when you're trying to sleep. It's kind of disorienting, even disgruntling. There was a reason we preferred to be left alone with our darkness. When that moment of intervention comes, I've also heard people struggling with addictions talk about this sense of relief. Because if you're being honest, you can't see anything when you're stuck in the dark. And as painful as it's going to be, eventually, if you want to have life, you're going to have to have light that will allow you to see. 
I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that, a moment where the light confronts your darkness. For me, there have been lots of little moments when people have tried to get my attention, but I normally do a pretty good job of avoiding their concerns. It normally takes a moment like this one, a moment when someone said, do you see what you've become? Do you see that you're holding a stone? Do you realize you've actually been living in darkness? Did you know you don't have to live that way? Did you know that Jesus actually wants to invite you into the light? The interesting thing about this story, however, is that the religious elites were not the only ones in darkness confronted with the light. It'd be easy to gang up on the Pharisees and religious leaders. They're kind of the villains in this story. But Jesus surprisingly doesn't allow that to be one-sided. Turning to find that the woman was left, we're told, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. This is what we never expected. We thought if we were caught in the very worst acts of our lives, that we'd be stoned by an angry mob, crushed to death by the weight of our mistakes. But instead, Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. This is the good news of God. This is quite literally the gift of salvation. Remember at the start when I mentioned light could quite literally protect save and guide people from the dangers of the dark. This is what Jesus meant when he said, I am the light of the world. He's come to protect us from condemnation. He's come to save us from condemnation. He's come to guide us. Where we assumed we were dead in the dark, Jesus now offers the words of light, neither do I condemn you. But Jesus is not quite done. And he will go on to say this as well. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is, I would suggest, the second twist of this story. The people you are, the people you assume are stuck in darkness are invited to step into the light. This is the thing. Jesus doesn't let this woman off the hook either. I don't know what we expected, but for all the disappointment we have with religious leaders, I think it's important to point out, Jesus doesn't just tell her she can go live her life however she wants. Darkness has a way of clinging to us, and Jesus knows that. This is so key to understanding what Jesus does for us in the gift of salvation. Jesus wants more for us than to just offer us forgiveness. He wants us to live in the light. This is why our I am this morning is so powerful and so challenging. Do you remember it? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is what Jesus wants for you, what Jesus wants for me. Jesus wants us to step into light. These really are the two practical steps this I am invites us into. First of all, Jesus wants us to confess the darkness. This might just be the hardest part, especially for those of us who have spent our whole lives trying to be good. It doesn't matter if you spent your whole life putting on the appearances of doing all the right things in all the right situations. Jesus asks, which of you without sin is able to throw the first stone? Who here wants to claim they have not found themselves in darkness? This is the first step we must confess the darkness. 
But the second invitation is this. Jesus wants us to step into the light. This light is more challenging than, than we might have expected. It's a call to leave behind a life of sin, a life of avoidance, a life of blame, a life of judging others, a life of judging ourselves, a life hidden and in the dark. Instead, Jesus offers us light. Light is both forgiveness and holiness all at the same time. This is the key. Forgiveness always comes first. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. But light doesn't stop at forgiveness. The light means now that your life no longer needs to cling to darkness. So Jesus also says, stop living in sin and leave it behind so that you can now live in the light. For Christians, this moment of confessing the darkness and stepping into the light is very much like an addict at the best possible kind of intervention. Sure, it might feel messy and painful. No one wants to think that the worst part about themselves has been seen and known. But ultimately, the intervention happens because you are loved and your whole community wants you to find freedom and new life. We have been addicted to the darkness. We have preferred to throw stones. But Jesus says, now is the time to confess. Are you finally ready to step into the light? I wonder for you if this teaching might just be one of those moments, a moment where you get a chance to confess the darkness. Maybe you've been struggling with an addiction. Maybe you've been living a lie, or maybe you've just been living a pretty good life, but there is a stone in your hand and you're ready to judge anyone who doesn't live up to your standards. Jesus says, put down the stone. I'm not going to condemn you. But then Jesus offers himself and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Today, my prayer for you is that wherever you're walking, you would have a chance to confess any darkness you find yourself in. And in response to Jesus' love, that you would step into the light.